Hey there folks, it's me, Michael Bach, your Diversity Dude, and this is Talking to Canadians. For some people, living with a disability can present a lot of challenges. From the workplace, to the street, to your house, the world is simply not made for people who don't fit into the particular mold of being able-bodied, quote-unquote. When you add on the extra challenge of being gay, well, it would be easy to let it get you down. But not Spencer West. My guest today challenges stereotypes and lives a proud and uplifting life. He speaks internationally, motivating people to strive for something better and to live their best lives. From climbing Mount Kilimanjaro on his hands, yes, that's what I said, to speaking in front of thousands of kids in packed stadiums, today's guest is truly an inspiration. Here's my conversation with Spencer West. Spencer West, welcome to Talking to Canadians. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. And I am so excited to have you. So, Spencer, you lost your legs from the pelvis. <laughs> That's a weird sentence. You I know, lost right? Like you like just I misplaced them. <laughs> exactly. Like, where did the legs go? Uh, but then you um, climbed Mount Kilimanjaro, yeah. and you speak about resiliency and overcoming obstacles. Let's chat about it. Yeah, I mean... Just sort of just address that that first piece there. Yeah, let's just talk about how we lose one's legs. Exactly. I was on vacation, and no, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was totally thinking that was the story. Right? Imagine. No, no. Um, real talk. Uh, listen, it, my parents when when my when my mom got pregnant, she they didn't know anything was wrong with me until I was born. And then when I was born, they my legs didn't look like normal legs would. And what they ultimately found out is that I had a genetic disease called sacralogenesis, which is it's super fancy and long, but but the crux of it is um, it affected the muscles in my legs. So um, I had two separate surgeries. Uh, the first is I was age two, where they removed them at the knee, uh, hoping that I could use prosthetics and and get around that way. But it it, it just didn't work. I just couldn't, I didn't have enough muscle use to make the prosthetics work. So then at the age of five, they were removed just below my pelvis um, so I could get around better. So that's where they went. They're not on vacation. Right. They're not, yeah. you don't keep them in the closet. Or... <laughs> no. So no. What, what is your, your sort of earliest memory as a child? What do you remember about that whole process? Um, when it comes to like... Uh, the act of actually losing my legs, the, the, the thing that always stands out to me the most is not the actual surgery itself. I just remember like going to sleep and waking up and they were gone. But for me, it was like such a blessing, right? Because now I could like get around without having to drag my like legs that were dead weight behind me. I could like walk on my hands, but the, the piece that sticks out and it's not such a like lovely story, but you know, I, I was born in 1981. So in the early 80s, your parents weren't allowed to stay the night with you at the hotel at, at the at the hospital. Oh, so wow. at two years old, my my parents would have to leave, you know, at closing time, and then they would be back um, right first thing in the morning. So that was hard um, for them to leave. There was a, a most nights I I cried myself to sleep, but I do remember one one time um, that this was for my second surgery. I was really into gem and the holograms and they bought me a gem doll. So like that helped a little bit, but <laughs> yeah, that would, that helps me today. <laughs> yeah. Right. 
wow. So you're, you're like two years old in the hospital by yourself. Mm -hmm. I can't even fathom that. I know it was really scary, right? Cause your parents have to leave. And, and in those days too, it wasn't like you had your own little room. I was in this massive, large room with like, you know, 25 other kids all in these like little beds because we're teeny and we're all having these life-threatening um, surgeries. Well, I don't know if they're all life-threatening wow. and mine wasn't life-threatening, but it was like a big deal, you know? Um, and I was sure. at the Shriners Hospital in Salt Lake City, Utah. So um, it was, yeah, it was, a, it was, it was a lot. So how did kids interact with you? What, what was it like growing up uh, as a wheelchair user? Yeah. You know, for me, uh, everybody in my immediate family and in my neighborhood where I lived, they were awesome. Like I was just Spencer and I just happened to not have any legs, but I would like ride my skateboard with the neighborhood kids and like do all the things that you would normally do. You know, like, you know, my parents put me in swimming lessons and I did gymnastics and, and all of those things. And the wild thing is the only time that I felt different is when I went out in public where it was a community of people that I didn't know. And then they were the ones that made me feel different. And it's, it's so wild, Michael, because even to this day, that I still get the first three questions I will usually get when I meet someone new um, are where are your legs? How do you go to the bathroom? And how do you drive a car? It without fail. It happens at least once a day. Now, so it, it may surprise you, Spencer. Those are actually the first three questions I get as well. <laughs> totally oh my God, I'm not alone. <laughs> totally different reasons though. Um, <laughs> We're not a cruise in tango. <laughs> no. Where are your legs? How do you go to the bathroom? Okay. And, um, yeah. And I, I guess, you know, even to this day, how does that make you feel? Um, I know you've heard it for 30 years, but seriously, <laughs> like, at, at what point yeah. do you, you like pop off or something? It depends on the day. It really depends on the day. Some days I'm super cool with it and like I'm, I'm, I've just accepted that like this is how my life is. And then other days I'm like, I don't want to tell you this today. But the, the problem is, and I, and I say this as humbly as possible, you know, I've had some public success here in Canada. So, mm -hmm. so sometimes people know who I am. So now it's not, I can't, before I'd be like, ugh, like I, I was just born this way and then I walk away. But like I'm too afraid that someone might know who I am. Like, oh, he was such a, he was such a jerk. Like, you know, so like, I feel obligated now to answer them, but I guess that's sort of the, um, I guess that's the uh, choice that I made or didn't make when I started to have a, some public success, I guess. At the same time, I mean, the, those questions are, are so intrusive. Totally. And um, I, you know what it is? I, I think when it's kids asking, it's a little uncomfortable, but like most of the time they just want to verify what they're seeing and then sure. move on. It's, it's when adults ask that I'm like, mm. <laughs> sometimes they'll say, oh, I don't think I want to answer that. <laughs> or, or I'd be like, how do you go to the bathroom? I have said that before, actually. <laughs> As you should. Like, seriously. I, what a, that's just a weird question to be like, how do you go to the bathroom? Nice to meet you. Glad you could make it. How do you go to the yeah. bathroom? Like, I'm, you know, these are not things that would ever cross my, ma my, my mind to ask. Anyway. I know. I, I honestly, I think it's just the, the visual people can't understand like what below the pelvis means. And so they, they just assume, they assume that I'm like, 
tits up, I guess. Like, I don't know. Can I say that? <laughs> you can say it. It's a great okay. visual. Okay. You are nothing but nipples and above. Exactly. Exactly. And so I think they get confused. Like, no, I have a waist and all the other things that, that come along with being a cis male um, man that identifies as gay. Like, I'm, it's, I'm, it's all the same. So I think physical, we, we always joke that I'm someone's just going to like, someone meaning me, is going to like just leak a nude photo. Just to like, just get it out of the way. Here it is. <laughs> Growing up, you get into adulthood, you start to, you know, form into a human being. Yeah. And what did you experience as a wheelchair user? Like, what's it, what's it like? It's so funny because I think when you're, at least for me, when I was younger, I, I wasn't as bothered by accessibility. Plus, I grew up in a small town in Wyoming where um, I just like knew everything, and I was everything was adaptable. At least I, I could just like figure it out. Because my part of my privilege is that I'm able to get out of my wheelchair, mm -hmm. and I'm able to lift it up a couple of stairs or lift it up a curb, and then jump back in and and carry on. But it's as I get older, and and having lived in Toronto now for eleven years, I'm like. I think I'm like that crotchety old man now that's like, oh, God, this is annoying. And like, where's your elevator? And why isn't there a ramp? Which like part of it is like really good because I'm like, yeah, it's this like activist side of me is like, no, everything should be barrier free. Yeah. And I should be able to go wherever I want. And I still have a lot of privilege, uh, you know, compared to some folks that are confined to a wheelchair. But um, I, growing up as a kid, it was like it really wasn't that big of a deal. And now that I've gotten older and I've started to experience more of the world, I'm like, oh, it actually is a big deal. And I, I am starting to like be a bit more angry about it, both as an activist and as a grumpy old man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I'm with you. Like I, I have an episodic disability that occasionally has me walking with a cane. And the first time it happened, I suddenly became aware of every step that exists. And I became a, a activist slash crutchy old man who was like, are you kidding me? Why do you need this step here? Um, because so many of them are just bad design totally, and not totally. like this serves a purpose. It was just a bad design. Yeah, exactly. So switching gears a titch, mm -hmm. you mentioned you're a homosexual. <laughs> yeah. um, what, what would tell us your coming out story? What was it like? Uh, I feel like I need to give like just a, a, a brief backstory first. So I, yeah. I was, I grew up, as I mentioned, in Wyoming, and I was uh, in grade 12, uh, the year that Matthew Shepard was murdered, uh, and he was murdered four hours away from where I live. So it was to, to grow up in a state that suddenly was thrust into the limelight and was known now as the state of hate. And for me, and I say this genuinely, it was the first time where the world suddenly didn't feel safe. And I didn't know if I really fully understood that I was gay at that time. But even if I had, there would have been no way that I would have come out then. Sure. Um, it took me a lot of a lot of years um, of really getting to know myself. And when I moved to university, that's when I started to realize. I remember I was working I was working at Old Navy um, as I was in university, and I remember like trying to go on dates with girls, and I never felt anything. It was like, oh my god, she's fierce, and I love hanging out with her, but like. I don't feel yeah, anything describing for her. a woman as and fierce, like, that's generally a sign of something. <laughs> I know. I know. And then, like, you know, a cute guy would walk in all Navy, and I'm like, oh, why am I getting these butterflies? Or I just must like his style. And then a year later, I was like, oh, no. I'm, no, I'm, I want to date him and yes. kiss his face. Like, that's what I want to do. Um, and so I came out to my best friend first. Um, we've been best friends since grade seven. He came out 
uh, like probably two years before mm. I did. So I told him first and he was so lovely. And then I went to my, uh, my first pride that year in Salt Lake city. And just this is like a sidebar. Salt Lake city has a great mm-hmm. pride. I think it's because the culture can be so um, divisive there that um, when there's a pride, we're going to kick up our heels in pride, you know? Yes. So, Everyone um, takes off their second skin. I went, and uh... ex- Exactly. So, <laughs> so I went to pride and then, I came home from Pride and I called my parents and they were the second people that I told. And I feel really grateful that they were super supportive. Uh, my mom struggled for, for a hot minute because, you know, for, for 21 years, I, I told her that I wasn't it, when there was weird instances where people would ask. Um, and so she just always believed me. So I think it was hard for her in the beginning to reconcile that, oh, but you said this, but now you're not. So that's a bit confusing for me. And she, oh, we ultimately got there and I'll, I'll never forget the time where I really knew that like, she was always on board. She's like, I love you. And this is totally fine. We'll figure it out. I just need to understand a bit more, but we were shopping. I have a younger sister and we were shopping and there was these bags and one of them said, Mrs. Timberlake. And my mom's like, Oh, you need this. And I was like, Oh, this is the best thing you could have ever said to me. (laughs) And I'm still waiting. Um, But, uh, but the other thing, was that I'll never forget my, I, I told my parents in the following year, my dad, who my dad is like, um, like a, I hate to say a man's man, because I hate saying that, but he, my dad is a very masculine hunting, fishing, sports kind of guy. And he called me on Father's Day the following year. And he was like, uh, you all, you know this, but like, I love you. And you're my son. And I don't care. And you're 21. And I'm tired of waiting. When are you going to adopt me some grandkids? <laughs> I can deal with the gay as long as I get babies. Okay. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And he didn't even care that, like, if they were biological or not. He was like, just figure it out because I'm tired nice. of waiting. Okay. <laughs> At 21, he yeah. expects to have children. Yeah. That's I know. That was intense. a lot. <laughs> okay. So I want to uncrack a bit of a nut here about what it's like living yeah. life as a gay man who also uses a wheelchair. What's that been like? Um. You know, it's 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 been a challenge, uh, candidly, um, and you know we're also in this weird age where it's like, where do you meet people now? I'm <laughs> and I'm actually asking, like, I don't know, you know, and like for me, going to a bar has never been something that has been easy. I've I've gone and I I, I love to to dance. Like, I'll get out and dance with my hands, but like to meet someone at a bar is a it's difficult because a lot of bars aren't accessible. Uh, the washrooms aren't accessible. And then on top of that, they're super crowded. So like, I usually have to stick to one area and usually my friends like form a circle and we just like sort of dance in a circle. So it's not like I can go up to someone and like, uh, like talk to them. I have to like tap on them and they have to kneel down and we have to yell at each other to like be able to hear. It's just not like a conducive place for me to meet someone. And then online is online. It's got like positives and negatives, you know? There's been a lot of people, it's so funny because in the beginning, when I, when I was really um, like exploring online dating, it was, I didn't disclose my disability because I didn't think that it mattered. And then, then what I started to find is that I felt like I was coming out twice. Like people knew I was gay, but then I felt like we would have this nice conversation and be like, Oh, but by the way, like I don't have any legs. And then it, and it would become like a big deal. And like, sometimes people would block me or sometimes people wouldn't want to talk anymore um, and so then I was like, well, this is exhausting trying to do all of this. So I just started putting it in my, in my profile. And then, you know, people want to know, like, 
how sex works and 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 does is is that normal and 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 all of the things which eventually is an important conversation um but like that's usually the first few questions people want to know um so it, it hasn't been the best but i mean i feel like sometimes it's all relative you know i don't know <laughs> dating is hard enough um when you're lgbtq identified um and I certainly know through conversations of people who are from racialized communities, the challenges that are faced there, uh, people who don't fit into a particular body type, people who are, you know, more. Like I think about the no fats, no femmes, no Asians type nonsense that you see in some profiles. And, and it's, you know, if you don't fit into the box, uh, it's even more of a challenge. So, Spencer, tell us. Yeah. about climbing Kilimanjaro on your hands. Like people need to understand you climbed one of the tallest peaks in the world, but no, not just climbed it. You did it on your hands. What was, I mean, I do not like to walk up a hill, let alone do it on my hands. What motivated you to do that? What was like, tell me all about it. I know. And it's so funny because if you would have asked me 10 years ago, would you climb a mountain? I'd be like, yes. you have lost your mind. Um, it, it's, it's so sort of interesting how it, how it came about. Um, there was two sort of things that happened. Um, you know, part of my job for the organization that I work for is we empower young people to change the world on things that they care about. And um, our, our, the, the founder of the organization, I, had just said to me in passing one day, he was like, Hey, have you thought about climbing Kilimanjaro? Cause he'd like recently done it. And he was like, I think it's something you could do. And I was like, uh, no, <laughs> like <laughs> I have had zero desire to do any of those things that you just said. So the, the answer is no. But the, the issue that I was facing is I was telling young people to make a difference and to get out there and do something. And I've never done it before other than just talk about it. And so I thought, Ooh, well, that doesn't seem right. And then the other thing to be 100% candid is I'm someone that friends and family is mm -hmm. how I recharge. And because I travel so much, I don't get to see them. So ultimately what, how it came about is I want to do something to prove to young people that change is possible. But more than that, selfishly, I just want like a really cool adventure yeah. with my best friend. And I just want to spend some time with them. If we can like do some good at the same time, like best case. So that's like ultimately where it came from and why I, I chose to do it. Cause then I can have this really cool adventure. But then in my mind, it was like, Oh my God, but we yeah. camp, like on a mountain. And like, that is my worst nightmare. Number one. And number two, then I'm going to have to climb this mountain. And, and I did it partly on my hands, parts where I could do it in my wheelchair. And then part of the way I was carried because there was just no way that I would ever make it to the top solely on my yeah, hands. My sure. body would give up. There just, there was no way. Um, but we did it. Okay, I have to. I have to admit, I feel better now because I totally imagined you doing it on your hands the whole time, and I was like, "He is a super human being." Now that I know people carried you, I'm like, oh, "I know, amazing. right?" So, <laughs> just totally ruins the I visual. Know, I know, but it was like we had to get to the top. I'm less impressed. <laughs> uh, but that must have been a pretty awe-inspiring experience to. You know, did you make it all the way to the peak? We did. We did. And do you know what was so, so interesting? And I, and I, I didn't anticipate this. You know, the entire time uh, from beginning to, to when we were climbing is I'm like, I'm going to need help. 
I'm climbing this without legs. And, and like Kilimanjaro isn't a technical climb necessarily. It's just long and there's the altitude, you know, you're, it's just under 20,000 feet. So I, the entire time I kept thinking, well, I'm, I asked my buddies to come cause I want a cool adventure, but I'm going to need their help the entire way. And then the day that we summited, you know, we're, we're, we're almost there and both my buddies get altitude sickness and, and it manifested in one of them was violently throwing up. The other one had a massive stomachache and headache and was pale. And all of a sudden the roles reversed and now they needed my help. And I wasn't, I wasn't ready for that. I didn't think that was going to be a thing. And then I had this immense guilt of like, Oh God, I'm such a jerk. Like, I invited my friends to come because I needed their help. And now they're like suffering and it's all because of me. But it was like a lesson for all of us that like we all have this ability to, to provide help in some way. So for me, it was yeah. standing in between them and, and it, leading up to while we were climbing, you know, they were and so humbly, they were so lovely of like, you know, we're so inspired to watch you walk and actually climb this mountain. It's actually, even though we've known you for so long, it's even inspiring for us. So I thought, geez, if that's all that I can do, then that's what I'll do. So I literally just stood between them and I was like, guys, we're just going to walk really slow and we're just going to go hand over hand and foot over foot and stop when we need to. And eventually we made it to the top and, um, we, you know, mm-hmm. we, we collapsed and, and we cried and, we're a group of men that, you know, we're, we're not afraid to cry and we're very affectionate and where I'm, mm-hmm. I'm really lucky that I have a group of um, men that identify as heterosexual that are loving and they like to cuddle and it doesn't matter what your gender is. And, and so it was a really lovely experience. And I don't know if I've ever like said this on a podcast before, but we had this idea that when we got to the top, we were going to be like the first group to like streak. We wanted to take a photo like nude at the top of Kilimanjaro. Oh. Well, so our guide kept saying, listen, guys, you can do whatever you want. It's totally up to you. But we could tell there was something in his tone. And when you get up there, that's the (laughs) last thing you want to do. Like, number one, it, you know, you've got a thousand layers on and just, just walking is a chore. Taking off all your clothes is another chore. And plus, it is very cold up there. (laughs) Yeah. And I guess with altitude sickness on top of that, it's probably not top of mind. No, No, no. So we didn't do that. <laughs> Would you do it again? My answer is always no. And and uh, it's it's like 95% no. Like, I think there's a small percentage of me because it's been seven years now that I've forgotten some of the drama that maybe I might be like, oh, maybe I'll consider it. But like, who knows? You just described my relationship oh. history. Oh. Um, <laughs> Shoot. <laughs> yeah. Um, so tell us about the documentary Redefine Possible. Yeah, it was um, it was a mixture of a bit of my life and my story and where I'd come from and some of the amazing people that had influenced me and some of the, the things that I had faced. And then it was the, the documentation of the actual climb from, from start to finish. Um, so it was a mixture of, of those two things, which, which was awesome. And also, you know, it feels... It, feels a little weird. Like I've written a book and then I've, I, we have this documentary and I feel like those are things that you have at the end of your life, not like in, in the, the beginning or, or the, the slight middle. So um, I, I'm, I'm super grateful and it, it's, 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 it's awesome. And I'm glad that we have this to document. And, and I, I spend my summer overseas, um, usually in Kenya, um, hosting families, but also visiting youth groups while I'm there. We have young people that come over to, 
DR projects and help build a school. And I get to take that documentary and, and show them and show them what a plan actually looks like and how we succeeded and, you know, that we can make a difference. So I'm grateful that it's there. I use it as a tool now to sort of like, look at, I can do this. So can you. <laughs> And is that is it available to view somewhere? You know what? It's 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 not anymore. We sold it for a long time, but um, we're not selling it anymore. What? Uh, so going back to our earlier conversation, what should people know about dating a gay man who is a wheelchair user? Oh, that's a good question. I think I think the thing that I that I would hope people, what I would want people to not do, is make assumptions about like what, what it is instead is to, to get to know me or get to know that person that is a, is a wheelchair user or has some sort of disability and, and to get to know them first as a person and, and as well as learning about their disability and then what, what that looks like for them. I think at the end of the day, like as human beings, and, and I'm making an assumption here, I think we all want to be loved in some way, you know, whether that's physical or emotional and, um, and so for me, I, I think that like having this idea, I, I could give you the generic answer, like just be open and all those things, but like, it's not real. We don't live in that world. So like mm-hmm. for those that are comfortable and, and brave enough, it's, it's like, I'm just like everybody else. I just don't happen to have legs. You know what I mean? Everything works the same. All the emotions are the same. Um, all of that for the most part is, is the same. So I think that's that's what I want people to know, but I don't know. I've never been asked that. That's a great question. Like, what would your answer be? As a gay man who lives with a yeah, disability, yeah. you know, mine mine is an indivisible, not physical disabilities, and you know, mine is always, um, you know, I'm I'm not like everybody else, and I'm gonna have bad days, and there's gonna be bad moments, um, and. Uh, if you can sort of weather those, then I'm pretty awesome. Um, but I certainly have faced my share of uh, negative reaction when I come out uh, as living with a disability that people are, you know, we don't fit in a box. Right. And that scares people. You know, and isn't it so interesting in our community that, you know, we come from such a long history of like wanting to fit in and fighting for our rights. And I feel like sometimes we are the best at tearing each other apart. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Ugh. Yeah, we eat our young. Totally. That's kind of the, the way it goes. Yeah. But I will say there are have some you... good people out there, though. I've dated some really amazing oh, people who have been awesome. So on the flip side, they yeah. exist. It's, you really have to dig, but they exist. <laughs> right. But I think everyone has to dig. Like, I cannot tell you the number of people who I know gay, straight, uh, lesbian, like, you know, every sexual orientation and gender identity who are just amazing people and they're single. And the number one thing I hear is, oh, I just can't find any good insert whatever yeah, here. Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, legs or not, I think it's just a challenge to find good people because yeah. there's a whole lot of crappy people in the world. It's uh, it's sometimes uh, tough to to find them. Totally, I feel like I feel like Charlotte from Sex and City when she's like, "I've been dating since I was sixteen. I'm exhausted. Where is he already?" <laughs> <laughs> that's that's interesting because I've always thought of you as Charlotte. Oh my God, thank why. you. <laughs> um, um, how uh, how have your experiences 
shaped how you approach difficult situations? Mm. It's a bit of an out there question. Yeah. Um, I think this is like a two part answer for me. The, the first is, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really grateful that, that my parents from the time that I was born, cause you know, I was told when I was born by the doctors that I probably wouldn't sit up, walk, or even be a functioning member of society. And, and I don't say that to vilify the medical professionals anyway. They just, they just didn't know what to expect. So like, well, we don't know. So like, here's our best guess. And, you know, my parents, instead of, you know, doing everything for me and treating me as if I was incapable, my mom was like, no, like, we're going to treat you to be as independent as possible. Mm -hmm. And we're not going to treat you differently. Because if we do, then you won't take the risks you need to become your own person. And again, I, I feel like I, I need to keep coming back to this. My privilege is, is that although I have a physical disability, I am very mobile. Mm -hmm. um, and I know not everybody has that. So my parents just worked with what with what we got. Um, but it's so interesting, because as I've gotten older, when when the election happened in the United States, uh, like I'm sure many people were, I was like, I was like pretty upset. And it brought up a lot of like, anxiety. And I had to start seeing a therapist, because there was a lot of stuff that I that I didn't deal with about navigating the world and, and having a little bit of anger and frustration about my situation and, and just about the state of the world in general. Um, so uh, my parents set up a good foundation, but with some healthy therapy, um, you know, I, I, I figured out and I take it day by day and, and I roll with the punches. I, I'm not always optimistic and positive all the time, but the one thing that I always have, and I still haven't figured out where it comes from or why, but I always have hope that that for some reason never leaves me. So even when things are dark and I feel like it's life and everything is difficult, I always know that I'm like, okay, just like, let's just get to tomorrow mm -hmm. and tomorrow will be a little bit better. And then the next day will be a little bit better. Um, like I, I know, I, and I, I'm not sure like the, the age range of your audience, but like, I just remember Queer as Folk. Were you a Queer as Folk fan? Mm -hmm. Sure. So remember Debbie. And um, in the diner, and, and so she's this like, like larger than life waitress, and someone is the um, victim of a hate crime, and he's like really down on himself, and she looks at him, and she was like, sometimes you just gotta hang on until the scenery changes, but it always will change. And so I, I like, for some reason, I just keep that in the back of my mind. Does that answer the question you asked? Did I derail it? It does. No, and you quoted okay. Sharon Glass at the same time, so that's always good. Um, so what advice would you give for people living with a disability, uh, or other challenges, but what's, you know, and maybe you just answer it. What's sort of the, the advice you would give? Uh, on just like living just life, life in general. Right? Like it's, life is hard and it's, whether you are a, you use a wheelchair or you are fully able-bodied or you're queer or whatever, life is just hard. And, uh, you know, I, I look at someone like you and you've faced a lot of adversity. Let's just call it out. Uh, you know, um, so if someone came up to you and said like, how do you do it? What, what would you tell them? Yeah. I, you know, it's so funny. I'm, I'm not someone that like, likes to give advice. Um, but all, all I can do is speak from my experience. I think what has helped me the most is, like having a support system um, of like really, I have like a really great core group of friends and I'm really close, close with my family. 
and I feel grateful that I grew up in a, in a home where my parents are still together and my mom is half Greek and half Italian so like family is very important and we spend all the holidays together and you know we, we sat down every night at dinner and 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 had no tv and and no radio that's how old I am and like um that's what we did is we had a conversation and so having that support system and living in Toronto I never thought I would have that same support system again but I you know there's the the family that you're born into and the family that you choose and the family that I chose here is just as strong so for me having that support system has been super helpful um because I I just I'm not someone that can do all this alone there's some things I can do for sure but a lot of it I I need support on and it's hard it's hard to ask for it but um on the big things i've i've been able to figure that out and 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 find that that's what Mm -hmm. works for me so what's next for you what's your next big challenge yeah you know it's only in the last like two years that i that i've come out publicly um you know i've been out since i was 21 so it's it's never been a secret to anyone in my life both professional and personal but i just you know having a physical disability and it, it being in your face every day I felt like that was a big enough story that I wanted to tackle that first. Um, so what's next for me is just trying to learn how to lend my voice and to figure out my place in, you know, being a, a, a visible um, voice in the crowd as someone else who identifies in this community. Um, you know, my YouTube channel, we're trying to figure out what to do with YouTube. Uh, to be very candid, we don't know what we're doing. <laughs> we're just throwing a bunch of stuff out there and sort of seeing what sticks. So we've done interviews and vlogs and uh i've done some like fun sing-alongs one of my favorite sing-alongs is with darren chris yeah. who played blaine on glee he's he's a, he's a friend and every time we're in the same city we go to like a piano bar and just awesome. like sing all night and so we did like a fun video with him and i you know just like things like that um so we're just hoping that people will check it out and we're just trying to come up with new ways to engage and maybe give back at the same time so it's it's a work in progress but that's that's what's next. I'm still speaking, and I just came back mm-hmm. from Kenya a couple of weeks ago. And um, fantastic. Thing. So uh, we always like to wrap up our conversations with the same three questions. I call them the light and fluffy, but it's just an opportunity to get to know you a little better. Um, who are your heroes and or heroines? Listen, I it, it's it's I always say my parents first, but I think a lot of people say that. Um, do you know who? I, I don't know if I can pick. I can give you a couple examples, but. Some of my heroes, the people that I find myself gravitating towards are the people that are allies of communities that you wouldn't expect them to be. So for instance, I love Macklemore because he's, he, you know, here's this like cis white heterosexual man who is an advocate for black, black lives matter and the LGBTQ community, someone that you wouldn't think would do that specifically as a celebrity and in, in, in the world of hip hop that he's in. But that was his like thing from the beginning, and so like I find those people really, really inspiring. And of course, the normal people like I love Oprah, obviously, and like um, I mean, I feel like the best everyone. Um, but like I think those are those are the types of of people that that I'm more that I'm more drawn to, or people that are like willing to just like put it all out there. One of the things that I love about Demi Lovato, and I. I've gotten, and I'm not just, I'm not like trying to name drop here. I just, I feel really fortunate that I've gotten to know her um, on a personal level because I've hosted her and her family in Kenya before. And she invited me on her world tour where he opened for her concerts every night. But the reason I say her name is not because of the celebrity part, but 
you know, she's just been very honest about her struggles with mental health and her struggles with addiction. And, and I, I don't know, I just gravitate, gravitate towards people that can speak their truth. Um, so I think those are my heroes. Sorry, I, it's, it's supposed to be light and fluffy, but I really took a long time. To <laughs> it's okay. You're able, it's your answer. You're allowed to say whoever you like. Um, what's your biggest pet peeve? Yes. Um, sometimes I, I get super frustrated when um, I know things can be done an easier way, mm. <laughs> but but folks uh, insist on doing them a way that's more difficult. I think that's one of my pet peeves for sure. Okay. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. We do like to complicate yeah. things as human beings. Totally. Yeah. What is your uh, happiest and or guiltiest pleasure? Oh. Um, my happiest pleasure is just spending time with my friends, even if sometimes we're like, let's be together, but be on our phones. Like just, just being in the room with them is really lovely. And I'd say my guiltiest pleasure is, um, you know, those ice cream drums. <gasps> I know. Yeah. With the caramel They're in the middle so and then stuff that chunk of chocolate at the bottom of the cone. Oh, I don't baby. think, <laughs> Those are my I don't favorite. think any milk is involved in the creation of those things, but whatever chemical product it is, it is a little slice of heaven. I'm into I'm it. Totally yeah. Into that. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm going to go get one. I'm going to do that. Sp Perfect. Spencer, welcome. thank you so much for joining. Today. It was my pleasure. Thank you. You and I have known each other off and on for a while and you're just, uh, you're so amazing. Legs or not, you're just an amazing <laughs> human you. being and you're inspiring. So I'm so glad that you were able to join us uh, on my little podcast and, and share your story. So thanks for being here. And likewise, and thank you for what you're doing. Like, honestly, it's, it's, it's pretty incredible what, what, what you've done and how your career has evolved. Um, it's, it's been pretty awesome to watch. Oh, thank so you. kudos to you as well. He is so inspiring. Whenever I start to feel sorry for myself, which is far too often, I imagine what Spencer would do, and I stop being such a whiny suck. Even with the things that many of us would see as huge limitations, he has overcome all of them and built such a rewarding life, all while being one of the most optimistic people I've ever met. I encourage you to check out his YouTube channel. Just look for Spencer West. It's well worth it. That's all for today's episode of Talking to Canadians. Thanks for listening, and thank you to my guest, Spencer West, for sharing his story. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast through your favorite podcatcher so you never miss an episode. And if you enjoyed today's episode, feel free to give it a like. And if you didn't, well, don't. Also, connect with us through social media. We are at CCDI Social. And don't forget to stay up to date with everything CCDI is doing by visiting our website at ccdi.ca. Thanks again, and I'll be talking with you again soon, Canada.